Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Another edition of Front Porch Conversation on Justice. I'm Charles Cheek, and I'll be your host today. Uh, we're excited about the conversation we're going to have today, um, and we're going to be discussing the topic we have, which is rather interesting. Uh, we have it out there: diversity, unity, and a big question mark. Is it mission possible or mission impossible? We're going to have this discussion today with Sunithia Newby, who is the Executive Director of the City of Hampton Citizen Unity Commission. So for those who are listening today, if you would like to ask a question or make a comment at any point, you just, if you're calling by phone, you just press 1 or otherwise, uh, if you're on your laptop, otherwise raise your hand uh, and, uh, and we'll recognize you and put you on. Uh, so Sunithia, welcome to Front Porch Conversation on Justice. Hello, good afternoon. How are you doing? You know, I'm getting older every day, so I must be doing something right. (laughs) I think that's true for all of us, but thank you so much for the invitation. We're going to start off and find a little bit about you and what brought you to this particular journey where you are now as the Executive Director of the City of Hampton Citizens Unity Commission. So Mm -hmm. take the floor. Wow, how did I get to this place? This is, has definitely been a journey for me. Um, I started out uh, from a professional standpoint uh, working in the social work field for years, um, focusing in on um, providing services to victims of crime and um, doing in-home counseling, therapeutic work. And so um, in the context of that work, needless to say, I had so many wonderful opportunities work with a wide variety of people that come to the table um, with so many different pieces of themselves. And so being able to meet people where they are um, and be able to provide them services that enhance their life has been something that's been so important to me throughout my career path. And so when I transitioned into this position about a year ago, it really just felt like an extension of what I'd done for years, but it just gave me a platform and an opportunity to take all the things that I learned about the value of diversity and the value of of inclusion, bringing it to a broader scope to look at it from a community-based level. Um, So I think my journey just kind of brought me to this place and prepared me to be able to be here um, to offer what I know, but also to still stay in a place of constantly learning. And, and, and what does that it, it involve, um, this constant state of learning in this position? Uh, and, and how is that connecting uh, what you're doing to the community? I think when I look at it from a personal standpoint, I think one of the things I've always valued is to always be in a state of learning and never feeling like I'd ever arrived in my knowledge about anything. Um, And I think that approaching life and my work in that fashion um, not only has helped me to um, stay in a place of humility about the work, but it has also kept me in a place of being open so that I could connect with people across wide spectrum, right? Because I think that when you come to the table with the idea of, hey, there's still more that I can learn, it opens you up. 
to be able to receive from people. And so I think that has been um, even the notion of building the programming for the Citizens Unity Commission is thinking about how we could all still remain in a position of learning. So no matter what your age, no matter your gender, your religious beliefs, how can we be in a place where we're always learning from other people? So I think that's transition from a personal value into something that I can plug into this work and be able to offer um, programming that increases, that creates opportunity for increased education. Well, looking at the mission um, for the Unity Commission, um, it, it seems kind of, I mean, I look at it and I read it and I read it and <laughs> how? how? How does one even where do you start? How, and I mean, just so, I mean, just based on the diversity in the city of Hampton alone, just mm-hmm. how do you make that movement start? Where do you start it? And what, what kind of things are, well, let's just start with that question. Where do you start? <laughs> how do you get there? So that is a great question. And it's a question that I ask myself every day. Um, I approach every day when I show up at the office and say, okay, how do I do this today? Um, And so one of the ways that I think that has been central to answering that question is um, creating opportunities for people to have conversations. And so one of the things when we started our social media page um, in February, we started using the hashtag join the conversation because when I began to think about the work, and it is a massive and extensive work that I don't know that we ever reach a place of arriving um, at a place of having accomplished all of what's in our mission statement. I think it's an ongoing journey. And I think part of that ongoing journey is creating the opportunities for people to have conversations and to come together and connect and be exposed to different viewpoints that may not mirror what your personal viewpoints are. Because I think part of learning means that I don't have to walk away from a conversation subscribing to your belief system, but I can walk away from a conversation that has allowed me to learn something different and it has exposed me to a perspective that maybe I never even considered. And if that can happen in the context of a conversation, then I think we're on, we're well on a good path to being that welcoming, supportive, and inclusive community. Okay, it's a starting point. Okay, being a starting point. So it's a starting point. I mean, I understand your realization of that, uh, Mm -hmm. being being able to enter conversations and uh, being able to listen to take something away to learn, at least at the beginning of it. But how how do you do that in the community? I mean, with Mm -hmm. such a diverse community, uh, not just with the, the usual color, class, religion, age, but just general life stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, a couple of things. Um, one of our our practices uh, with the Citizen Unity Commission is to be able to partner with our citizens. And so the cornerstone of the work that we do in our department um, is based upon working with two citizen-based commissions. Um, And for those who don't know a lot about the city of Hampton, one of the things that is an intense value for the city is the importance of civic engagement. So for us in the city of Hampton, civic engagement looks like um, the development of many different boards and commissions that cover a variety of topics and issues relative to the city of Hampton. So in our department, we have two commissions, um, one that has the same namesake as our department, the Citizens Unity Commission, and we have another commission, our Citizens Engagement Advisory and Review Commission. And being able to work with these two commissions that's completely comprised of citizens who live in Hampton, they've been appointed by our city council, um, is one of the wonderful ways that we're able to attack many of the topics that we do at a base level, because we're not just talking about connecting with fellow departments. We're not just talking about connecting with city officials. We're connecting with people who live in the city every day. They live, they work, and they play in the city. And I think that's essential to the work that we do because it keeps us as a department connected. You have your municipality and your citizen level fully engaged. 
And so I think that is that cornerstone is very significant in the work that we do. And so what comes out of that partnership with these commissions, um, we have a, a diversity college that runs throughout the year that creates opportunities for citizens to come together to learn more about race, ethnicity, religion. They learn more about generational diversity, sexual orientation. Um, we offer other creative avenues of learning and connecting, like our movie talk program, uh, where we show a movie and we have conversation after the movie um, about the content and the movies that we select are on a wide variety of topics that touch upon different aspects of diversity. It can be relative to a person's level of ability. It can be relative to gender, to religion. Our topics, our movie selections are tailored to broaden our conversation across many different lines. Um, and also being able to pull in um, key things that might be going on in our communities at the time. Um, so I think that's really essential when you look at, for example, um, the tragedy that happened in Charlottesville recently. So it's not just creating opportunities for people to come together to talk about the classic race, color, class, religion, and age. It's also looking at what are the relevant things that are happening in our community, around our community, and on a national spectrum that could really impact our ability to connect with one another and be really inclusive. Um, and so I think our America Divided program really helps us with that. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with it, America Divided um, was created by Norman Lear, which I think a lot of people will remember Norman Lear from Good Times and the Jeffersons back in the 70s, where he at that time really tackled a lot of our key issues about diversity and inclusion. And he created this series called America Divided in 2016 um, that tackled many of the topics um, and issues that tend to divide us as communities and, and as a country and use it as an opportunity for people to come together and hear different stories. And in that fashion, it reminded us that for as much as we think that there are things that can tear us apart as communities, when we hear our individual stories, we might find that we're more connected and united than we really think that we are. So, I mean, that's a few examples. And of course, Charles, you know, I could go on and on about all of our programs, but, you know, kind of to answer your initial question, that's how we do it. It's through our civic engagement and touching upon specific and broader issues that are happening in our community. Okay, so often, uh, and, we, and we'll get to some of those programs, um, uh, I'm going to keep you going on and on. Uh, <laughs> but, but in the meantime, you know, so often uh, commissions are formed and, and developed and, and they're developed on a finite mission. Uh, that's defined at some period of time. Um, how does the, the Citizens Unity Commission state in front of, or how does it gather those issues that are relevant to the community uh, besides mm -hmm. a board that's just sitting there and talking about, I think this might be a, something of interest? Yeah, great question. And, and the answer that I'm going to give you might sound so simplistic, but it's something, it's a valuable practice that um, our new program coordinator, Leticia Handy, has really helped to bring that to the forefront of our work. And it's the value of just actually hitting the ground and making connections with people at the ground level. What do I mean by that? It's actually getting out into communities um, and having conversations with people right there in their front yards, having conversations with people wherever you find them at, connecting with them there. Um, I think has been really essential to being, uh, being able to really connect and understand um, what the key issues are beyond what our commissioners are able to report back to us. Because I think both pieces of feedback are invaluable for us in our work to be able to have the commissioners, but to also learn what the things that we learn just by connecting with people in everyday conversations is so important. So you're saying just meeting the people where they are, uh, mm -hmm. and, and and your new assistant is, is is working on, I guess diligently working on that end to uh, to bring more people in to, to garner more opportunity and more uh, input from the community as a whole. What what has that looked like in terms of um, 
the information that's brought in and, and the networks that have been set up. Uh, because sometimes you can get taken off into a tangent somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, so how do you differentiate whether you're just chasing something or if it's really relevant? Great question. Um, I think, for example, uh, I think about um, two recent situations, as recent as this week, um, where Letitia was able to get out into our North Phoebus community um, here in the city of Hampton, and she was able to go out um, to meet many of the residents who live um, in the housing area um, in our North Phoebus community. And part of the goal in her going out with the property manager and the resident council president was to be able to talk to the residents about a new program that we're working on in partnership with North Phoebus Community Center that engages um, multiple faiths. And so by being able to go out and have those conversations, not only could we say, hey, this is something we're working on. Is this something that would be valuable to you? Is this something that you would be interested in? It also created an opportunity for them to share information with us that may be outside of the scope of what our goal was, was to talk about you know, this new program that we want to start. And when you get that information back, one of the key things that we always look for is tax. So even if we're out on foot and we hit, for example, three different communities on a given day, and I'm simply using that as an example, one of the things when we come back and brief and talk about it, the question becomes, what are the common themes? What are the common um, concerns that we might be hearing? Because I think you can get 20 people in a room together, right? And 20 people will have 20 different opinions. But when you hear those 20 different opinions, are there any common threads or themes that we need to tap into? Because I think we need to see patterns as they evolve. A pattern begins to point to something that we need to focus in on. Now, does it mean that we run back to the office and say, oh, hey, go ahead and create something around this pattern? Well, no, that's just the first piece of it. After that, there's practical things that we have to do to gather more data and more information. Um, from a quantitative standpoint that might support the pattern that we got from this qualitative information, if that makes sense. So it's, it's a starting place to have these conversations, to catch the pattern, come back, look for additional trends that support it, and then also be able to point upon the wisdom of those um, of others who are also working in the community. Because in our city, um, our department, we have a myriad of fellow employees who are working in the community as well. So the information that we get is a great opportunity to connect with them and say, hey, what are you hearing in this community? And if there's still vague areas or areas of uncertainty, then it creates an opportunity for us to say, well, hey, maybe we need to look at posting some type of a community conversation that will help us to garner whether this really is something that's relevant or we need to focus on energy. So I think for us in our work, it's not the one time, oh, I heard this is important and we hop right on it. It's looking at all the pieces and pulling it together because one of the other things we never want to do is you don't want to duplicate that. I think one of the things that we see in community that um, I think is such a challenge is that you may have multiple pieces all trying to do the same thing. And so we inevitably end up working on top of each other instead of working with each other. So I think for as much as what we learn having conversations with average everyday citizens, it's also being able to patch that across lines to see what that really looks like in terms of where we need to focus our energy. Well, and you just touched on something there, and I'm going to put that back and wait a few minutes on that, but when you just <laughs> okay. mentioned the multiple faiths coming together, mm-hmm. I mean, that is really messy. I mean, that's, that's mm. I mean, there's some things. <laughs> I mean, even I'm not going to jump out there and try and try, but, you know, I, uh, but it's got to be something, a commonality there, evidently. Uh, so, so you, you, you must not, you must be something there that you can grab hold of and interject uh, with these multiple faiths that are bringing them to the table and keeping mm-hmm. them in the table. And why, and why particularly that effort? You know, faith is an area that, frequently divides us. 
not just in a local community, but across the country. When you look at our international climate right now um, and everything that has been happening, I would say in the past decade, there are real concerns that people have about others who are a part of a faith that they don't subscribe to. And particularly when you see acts of uh, terrorism, uh, whether international, whether domestic, that involves religion, it can really taint um, our perspectives about what particular religions are about. Because if we go by what we just see in the media, then I think it might be easy to believe that all Muslims are terrorists. Well, that's not a true statement. And so I think when you have opportunities like what we've created for multiple faiths, whether you're um, a part of a Protestant faith, whether you're a Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, you may be a Unitarian, you might even be an atheist, maybe that's your belief system. Um, But what you want to look for is how do we demonstrate to people that no matter uh, where, no matter what you believe, no matter what your rituals and your practices are in terms of your faith or religion, what are the things that, what is the common theme that brings us together across all of that? And one of the things that I've learned by being able to work with wonderful people across faith lines is that regardless of the variance in our faith, the one central thing that we all agree upon is to be able to live in community with one another in a way that is peaceful and in a way that we treat one another with the best interest and the importance of your well-being at the focus of what we do. We want to live together, I'll say it again, in a sense of peace, and we want to live together in communities where I take into consideration what's best for you and your well-being. And so in some faiths, we would call that coming together across love lines. In other faiths, it may be called something else. But it's about that goodwill towards one another. That's the common theme of all religions. And so even though it's a tough opportunity, it's a great opportunity to demonstrate that no matter how you practice your faith, if the central guiding principle that we're living off of is treating one another well, we can come together and do anything. So in 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 gathering those uh faith together or, or religions mm-hmm. or whatever, uh and that common thread uh being, you know, to to support one another, uh to live in community, um, together in safety, um and, and to collectively help one another. How how do you bridge that conversation outside of the commission? I mean, because it's easy to bring bodies together in a formal mm-hmm. setting, but how do we start that conversation in the community? Because so often nowadays, we don't even know our, the person across the street or next door to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, so how, how would something like this start the conversation in the community? Because that's where it needs to be. Yeah. Um, that has probably been one of our toughest obstacles is that very question, Charles, is how do we how do we communicate this value across community lines? And so I think one of the ways that we have approached it, um, because I don't think there's one singular answer to it, I think there's different ways to approach it. And I think one of the things that we've done for those of us that have come together across faith lines is to begin to talk about the value within our own faith. Because sometimes the biggest challenge that we face, we face coming together across multiple faiths is with those who we share the same faith with, if that makes sense at all. It's trying to convince the people who you share the same faith with that it's okay to work with someone who does not have the same faith. Um, And so that has been one of the pieces that has helped to begin the conversation so that for the person who's at the table with us, that's the Hindu, for the Buddhists that we have at the table, for the Muslims and the Christians that we have at the table, being able to go back to our respective faith communities and seizing the opportunity to say, hey, let me tell you about um, this group that I'm working with. I think that's one of the best ways to start because if you can begin to rally support with those who uh, say they are united with me, it can cause, I believe, a trickle down in the conversation where that conversation turns into another conversation. That turns into another conversation. Um, I think a piece that becomes beneficial is looking at 
some singular event that we can pull together where people have an opportunity to then come out and learn more about your faith and learn more about my faith, this person's faith. It's non-threatening. It's not asking you to walk away believing um, as Muslims believe, believing as Buddhists believe, believing as the atheists believe. It's about coming and saying, you know what? I really don't know a lot about the Christian faith. I really don't know about a lot about the Muslim faith. Or maybe the things that I do know, it's not accurate information. So one of the ways that we want to be able to break down that barrier is to create a simple event that allows people to come out and just learn. You don't have to talk. You don't have to do any of those things. You just come and learn. Um, Our Circles of Diversity is a wonderful way to do that. We have a Circles of Diversity program with the Citizen Community Commission where citizens have the opportunity um, to come together over the course of six weeks, and they travel from faith center to faith center, being able to learn about different faiths. It's free. All of our programming is free and open to the public. And it's, again, it's non-threatening. It doesn't take anything but time. And I think that's one of the things that we have to promote in having conversations is that the only investment we ask that you come to the table with is the investment of your time and your ear. Okay. It, it, visiting faith centers um, is, is, is an interesting, uh, it's, it's almost like, I kind of look at that almost as if uh, a white pastor and a black pastor share pulpits or trade pulpits. I mean, but, I mean, that, that doesn't, that's a, that's a, I mean, it's a, it's a very generic look and way of looking at things, but it's not just, mm-hmm. um, I mean, because sharing pulpits really doesn't get to, to the, the crux of everything. I right. often thought about, um, you know, doing something like uh, my house, my home is your home and, and, and just have it look, come into my home. I, I, you know, let's go further than the, the faith centers. Let's, mm-hmm. let's Break bread at home because you know I always believe that breaking bread is the, the best way to start a conversation. Uh, Absolutely. And, and, yeah, and let's just sit around and talk because that whole, uh, if you want to say ministry or action of presence, uh-huh. is key. And presence starts where uh, when you go and invite people into a space that you call your your own, that you mm-hmm. are, are within um, most of your most of your time. Uh, during, during the day and during the week and months, and, and not just a, a faith center because that that only obligates you to certain days of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm just trying to think about that whole thing. How do you extend it out? How do you get where we, we're actually practicing presence uh, with one another mm-hmm. uh, in an environment that's different from a, something that's staged, so to speak? Uh, uh, but anyway, moving along that line, um, and perhaps one day I'll come up with that answer, and, and I'll let you know. Yeah, I was I was <laughs> going to say when you find the answer to that question, please let me know because <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, a great yeah. question, but I don't think it has a seamless answer, and I don't know what the answer to that is. I really don't right. because practicing presence is is an exposure. Practicing yes. presence means that I'm inviting you into my space, into right. who I am and into the bare knuckles of who I am. And that can be an an uncomfortable place for people to be in. Um, And it takes relationship to do that. And so I don't know what that looks like practically because it really has to probe at the heart of a person to be open to practice uh, the ministry of presence, as you put it. So, yeah, when you get to the bottom of that one, let me know. Did I lose you there, Charles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it does. Extending this a little further, um, when I, the more you talk, the more I'm thinking. Of, well, I will, and uh, and then we'll write a book together. <laughs> hey, that sounds like a plan. 
let me touch on another subject here, um, and and that's on um, who's ultimately responsible for the city be, being welcoming. I see that's in the mission statement of the mm -hmm. Citizens Union Commission. I mean, who's who's is this something we need to spread across, or or I mean, if it's in the, the mission of the community Citizens Union Commission, um, mm -hmm. to the city is welcoming to these um, uh, and supportive of inclusive of all citizens, regardless of race, color, class, religion. Is that just a broader statement for the city or or the commission, or or is it actually something that we that needs to go into the community so that the community shows that um, that they are actually engaged in this and are a welcoming community, a welcoming city uh, as a whole? Yeah, I think for as much as it's our mission that drives the work that we do in the department, I think it's also a clarion call for all who live, work, and play in the city to take ownership for creating that type of atmosphere in the city. Because this is not just something that a city department can accomplish. It's not just something that two citizen-based commissions can accomplish. This has to be a collective effort because if we live here, if we work here, and we play here, then we all share the responsibility in making sure that Hampton is welcoming, is supportive, and is inclusive. And it's something that we have to work at every day. Um, for as much as it's our mission, Charles, you know, I think it, it's, it's beyond a mission. It's an ongoing daily challenge for each of us. I believe. Okay, well, you know that was a set-up question, right? So. I know it was. You set it up very nicely. Yeah, well, let me give you the, the real part of it now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, as I look around the landscape um, in this area, in the city, and I see um, uh, I'm looking at when we're talking race, we have some groups to deal with race. We have some groups to deal with uh class, religion, age, disability, how is the city, this commission or this body, this unity commission, gathering folks under the umbrella um, and realizing there's a varied amount of thought in each one of those um, different areas, mm -hmm. how do we collectively bring them together? I, mean, I understand you can't, everybody's not going to agree on everything, but there has to be some unification somewhere. If you could flesh your question out a little bit more for me when you say a collective effort, which uh, flesh out your question a little bit more for me. Yeah. How, how does one, uh, even we're dealing with something like sexual orientation, and mm -hmm. uh, how, how do we bring all the different groups that are dealing with that, not only the, the ones that who are affirming, but those mm -hmm. who are staunchly against um, any, any type of uh, uh, same-sex activity or um, mm -hmm. uh, or marriage or anything of that nature. How, how do we get people together? I mean, we, we've got this one side over here, this side over here. We have groups like the NAACP to deal with race, color, and some mm -hmm. other things. Um, and then there's some other groups like AC, SCLC and Black mm -hmm. Lives Matter. Are they all coming to the table at some point? Are we connecting them somewhere? Uh, is there some point where so that we're, we're, and I understand everybody may have their own little marching orders over here, or that their uh, goal or mission, but how do we bring them all to the table? Because ultimately, we're all talking about the same thing mm -hmm. uh, when, you, when you get down to it, when you examine all of it. Uh, so is that a process within the unit commission, or, or, or is it something that hasn't been tackled or looked at at all? It's not something that we have tackled um, as of this time with the Unity Commission. I think that what you're suggesting about bringing different groups, entities, and factions together that um, may be centralized on the same topic, but maybe they have different approaches around it, it's not something that has uh, been our focus or our practice uh, in the Unity Commission to bring those groups together to see how they can ultimately work together or maybe make their message more singular, if it's possible. I mean, I don't really know. Um, it's not something we have tackled in the Unity Commission, and I can't say fervently at this moment that it is something that we would tackle. 
I think there's great value um, in that happening, and perhaps uh, through the Unity Commission, we could create an opportunity for those groups to come together. But then, honestly, Charles, I don't know what that looks like when we get them together. Uh, what what does that conversation look like? What is the expected outcome of that conversation? Is the expected outcome to get them to work together to look at and have a better understanding of what each is offering? Um, I don't know. I think that that would have to be fleshed out before it would be something that's undertaken um, by the Unity Commission and to make sure that it is in alignment with what um, we want to do in terms of doing our part. Because when you talk about unifying a community, you know, the Citizens Unity Commission is just one part of that work. We are we are one entity. Um, and so, you know, perhaps it is conversation worthy. Um, maybe we should pull you in to have a conversation about what that would look like. Well, you know, just because I suggest something doesn't mean that I'm willing to jump under it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I see. Yeah, you know, I understand that, you know, not necessarily have singular a me- singular message or, or, or to address something, but just to understand where they are, because a lot of times uh, there are different groups that can affect more conversation in certain segments of the population than others can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so unless Absolutely. we, so I feel if we're not, and somehow engage with them, no matter what level that may be, that we might be missing out on opportunity for the broader community. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're absolutely right. So that's kind right of where I was that. going with it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let, let me get back to something because, you know, uh, time is passing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, University College. Yeah. Tell me about it. So our Hampton Diversity College uh, is a wonderful free opportunity for uh, participants to come together um, and really increase their knowledge on the value of diversity, unity, and inclusion, Um, and being able to look at it relative to how it impacts um, our workplaces and how it impacts us at the individual level as well as the community level. Um, Our Hampton Diversity College was started in 2004, which of course predates me, um, and our first executive director of the Citizens Unity Commission, um, the Diversity College came out of the work that was being done at that time. And so right now we offer uh, two levels of learning. We have an introductory level one series that happens three to four times per year, um, and it's four weeks in length. And what happens during those four weeks is that Participants will do um, an initial exploration of the topics of race, ethnicity, culture, um, disabilities, and generational differences. Um, once participants create, or excuse me, complete level one, they can go into our level two, which is a little more um, intensive and it lasts for six weeks. Um, right now we offer our level two twice a year. And level two takes a more probative look into the topics of race and ethnicity, but it also opens up the conversation on um, world religions. It also opens up the conversation on sexual orientation. It probes into the importance of inclusion and what that really looks like um, in our communities and in our individual lives. Um, And so both levels are just great opportunities to increase learning it's also great opportunity to expose our participants to other um, perspectives because we have a diversity of people that attend our sessions. You know, they are diverse by age. They're diverse by, um, you know, by race and ethnicity. Um, they are diverse by their ability, their ability level. Um, and so it just is a classic example of what we talk about in terms of joining the conversation. So when you come into Diversity College, our goal is just to be a guide through the conversation. Our goal is not for you to walk away uh, with an educational certificate on the topics that we cover. It's a guided conversation that allows you to learn something beyond what you may have known before you come through the door. But what it also does at a deeper, more individual level is it allows the participants to probe 
their own belief system as it relates to race and ethnicity and sexual orientation and religion. And I think that's probably one of the greatest values that comes out of our diversity college is that individual probing because what happens for you at the individual level is what you will take away and will ultimately impact how you interact with people in the future. So our diversity colleges are one of our programs that we are particularly proud of and next year we're going to be expanding our diversity college where there's going to be a level three available for persons who complete level one and level two. They will have an opportunity to come in and learn more about how they can develop and facilitate their own uh, diversity college sessions. And we will equip them with the skill sets that they need to be able to be facilitators and guides in their own communities. Because what we realize at the Citizens Unity Commission with a staff of two people is that we can't do everything. But if we can be able, if we can empower um, and position our citizens to be able to have the skill sets that they need to duplicate the work that we do, then it has the ability to reach more people um, and to empower others to be leaders in their communities. So thus far, with, over the years with the, um, with the diversity college, what has mm -hmm. been the effect on the community? Any measured effect any, in, in terms of, um, of, of people going out and doing things within their um, circles or community? I mean, anything that can be talked about um, in terms of folks uh, initiating or, because uh, I understand it's a personal thing in, in, mm -hmm. in this conversation that you're having, but at some point people have to be empowered to do something. And, and where mm -hmm. does that empowerment take place within the diversity college? Right. And we don't have the question that you raise is a very good and relevant question that even for me um, as an executive director, when I look at uh, the data that we have available on the programming um, that we offer um, for our citizens, that is an area that we are currently um, refining how we will evaluate that to uh, programming event evaluations for everything that we do, but one of the things that uh, we are unable to track is the ongoing impact. So when you come to diversity college sessions, you'll do an evaluation after each session, but what that tells us is what impact the session had on you in that moment in time. But it does not, we don't have a tracking system right now that allows us to let's say follow back up in three months, six months, nine months, 12 months to see um, how what you learned is still impacting you. And more importantly, how it is being used to impact others. Um, and so that is a piece that we're looking at um, in our new fiscal year that just started July 1 is we're looking at our evaluation process to see what systems we can put in place to get us that type of information that we don't have. Along the, the race the race line, these the diversity college or even any other programs that you're um, that you're operating out of the Unity Commission. In terms of the, the, the varied populations of races, races, racial makeup in the city of Hampton, uh, how are you effective in reaching the Hispanic, the Asian, um, I don't know whoever else there, whatever other uh, folks are have settled in this area and having them participate in these conversations. I mean, is that broad enough? And at the same time, um, well, I'll let you comment on that part before I get to the second part. So. Yeah. Uh, well, when we advertise our programs um, and events that we do through the Unity Commission, there's a variety of ways to do that. Um, of course, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we started on social media in January through our Facebook page, excuse me, our Facebook page, um, and we're going to be getting our Instagram page out there. So social media is one of the ways that uh, we have been using to advertise. We still do what may be considered the more old-fashioned way of advertising, where we still do flyers and leaflets, and we put that information in all of our community centers, all of our libraries, um, and also for other organizations and faith centers that would allow us to put our literature um, in their facilities, we make sure that it's placed there as well. 
Uh, we also have email distribution lists where we send out our information electronically. And so I reference all of those things because we use different ways to reach as many people as possible. Um, and even despite those efforts, uh, we may not always get, I, I guess I would say, the level of diversity in our classes that we may desire to get, let's say, along racial lines, along age lines. Um, however, what that has shown us is that we need to look at uh, more targeted outreach. How do we make sure that we are specifically targeting um, Hispanics? How do we make sure we're specifically targeting our Asian neighbors um, in the city of Hampton? And so I think like any department, any organization, that's something we look at it on an ongoing basis as to how we can be more targeted when we find gaps um, in our services. And so that is something um, that we're always looking at, but I think in what we offer now in terms of marketing, uh, we're marketing in a way um, that meets a broad number of people. I think at the end of the day, Charles, that when we talk about diversity, we talk about unity, and we talk about inclusion, um, I think those are topics that for some people, either they are, it's, they're overused topics, or either for some people, they feel that they are topics that um, that they just don't want to include. They, they believe what they want to believe, and that's it. They're not interested in, you know, hearing or learning anything more. And then I think you have people that fall somewhere in between on that continuum. So I think for as broad as our marketing and outreach practices may be, there are still segments of people that we're going to miss just by virtue of things that we can't control for, which is individual perceptions and beliefs about the value of what we're talking about. Well, you know what? That kind of takes me somewhere else when you, since you mentioned <laughs> the word value. I actually was going somewhere differently, but uh, it, I mean, and even with the marketing effort, um, I mean, is it because people have a lack of understanding of, of what the uh, what you do and what it's about, and and then some. The perception is uh, in some communities uh, that it's too high level. Um, so how do you reach down and go back? I mean, like to, you know, like I call the folks, you know, everybody's hood is wherever they live, but um, or however they want to describe it and work and play. But uh, how do you reach out to the disenfranchised or, you know, because even the homeless population had addresses these same issues that you're talking about. Um, mm -hmm. But but we, in terms of convenience, and we're going back to that presence thing again, in terms mm -hmm. of convenience, how, maybe it's not convenient enough for folks. Maybe it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's not uh, where they can access it. Uh, because sometimes going somewhere else mm -hmm. takes it to another level that they're not comfortable in dealing with or going yeah. to. So. I think it's, uh, for us, it's an ongoing struggle. And again, I dare to say for many organizations and groups, it's an ongoing struggle of making sure that what you offer is accessible to as many as possible. Um, when I started in this position as executive director about a year ago, one of the things that was uh, central and important for me to do is to make sure that services like, for example, our diversity college were offered in the community. Um, and so we make sure that our diversity college sessions are hosted at our local community centers and libraries. Um, and what that does is allow us to move around the city, of course, pending availability of those facilities. It allows us to move around the community and put our services right there in places where people could walk to those services or um, people could drive less than, you know, five to ten minutes to be able to get there because, hey, it's right here at the community center in my neighborhood. Um, and that's something that, that we try to do with all of the services we offer, um, even with our movie talks that I referenced earlier. Um, we host our movie talks right now at the main library. Hopefully, as, as the program gains momentum, we'll be able to move it around just like we move our diversity college around. Um, so that's one of the commitments that we've made in our work um, at the CUC is to make sure that what we're offering, we're actually putting it in the community so people don't have to come to City Hall 
to be able to take advantage of our, our programs. And so um, I think it's an important commitment that we've made to our community to make it more accessible. And certainly um, it doesn't mean that we still reach everybody, uh, but I think it, it puts us on the right path. And I think that we are always open to suggestions of how we could do that better. Um, and being able to employ those suggestions of how we can do that better. But for now, that's the commitment that we've made. Put our programs in the community, utilizing our community centers that are in neighborhoods, utilizing our libraries, utilizing our local schools to be able to offer our programs. Well, and, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that because um, now I'll go back to something we discussed originally about bringing these, uh, the, um, I hate to call them fringe groups, but other groups to the table uh, mm -hmm. because they're invested or vested in those areas where we're not actually touching um, mm -hmm. in many ways. And I say we, because of some of the things I'm involved with in some other places. Um, mm -hmm. And and a lot of times we get frustrated and wonder why the people aren't coming. But, well, the biggest reason is because we're not engaging that community. We're not engaging with them. Uh, our presence seems to be external to their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so how do we, so what can we do generally as a community? And I'm not going to say faith community because in order to to, to, to crack that nut, I mean you you really need some real strong nutcrackers. But um, <laughs> uh, but you know how can we as a community engage? You know somebody's listening to this show or saying, well I would like that in my community. How can I start a conversation or get a conversation started in my community? Um, well, I think for the person who's listening and is thinking that, I think absolutely one of the first things you can do is to reach out to us at the Citizens Unity Commission because, uh, you know, we love to talk to people about how they can take what we're doing to utilize in their community or maybe already doing something and just want to pull upon, you know, the experience that we've had thus far. Certainly I wouldn't claim to be an expert about it, but we're always willing to help and support those who want to continue to advance the work because really, Charles, I think that's how the work grows. I think again, as I referenced earlier in the conversation, the CUC is just one part of this work. We are one piece of it. And so people we are able to reach, it really becomes a question for me, is how do the people that we come into contact with, how do they then carry the message to their realm of influence? Wherever their realm of influence might be, and maybe their realm of influence is around their dinner table, you know, maybe their realm of influence is their workplace. Um, but I think that's one of the challenges that we always offer at the conclusion of all of our events, the conclusion of all of our programs is challenging people to take this experience that you had today, take the learnings that you have from this experience, and challenge them share it with at least one other person. And so I think duplication begins at that very basic level. Um, and for those who are interested, as I said, um, in, in wanting to do more around this work in their community, by all means, they can always reach out to us. Um, and I don't know, can I plug our phone number at this point and our website, y'all? <laughs> you can do it 50 times. Go ahead. <laughs> They can always call our office at 757-728-3279. Um, they can also go to our website, which is www.hampton, H-A-M-T as in Paul, T as in Tom, O-N, dot G-O-V, forward slash unity. Um, and you can email us. You can learn more about our programs. Uh, we are, are open to having conversations and helping those who want to do the same work. And to also receive help, because who knows, the calls that come in or the emails that come in to us may be something that can help us to think about how we're doing the work and how we can do the work that we're doing better. Okay. The issues that, the few minutes we have left, and the, the issues that have uh, come out of Charlottesville, those issues that kind of perpetuated Charlottesville, uh, which were there all the time anyway, just that was just the, the, uh, the destination that, it all came together and was revealed. How has that impacted conversation here since then? Um, 
one of the first things that we did that Monday after Charlottesville was to uh, for CUC staff to sit down and have a conversation with uh, one of our assistant city managers, um, who is my my direct supervisor, to have that very conversation about what does this look like for us in Hampton? Because the reality is that although Charlottesville didn't happen in our city, Charlottesville can happen in any city across the country. None of us are immune to Charlottesville happening for us. And so while I think one of the first questions a lot of people ask is, you know, well, what would be the response of of the city if Charlottesville happened here? I think one of the more relevant questions to ask ourselves in the wake of Charlottesville is, what conversations do we need to be having now um, that could potentially preclude Charlottesville from happening here or could shape what our response would be neighbor to neighbor, individual to individual if Charlottesville happened here. And so part of what came out of that conversation that we had about, um, about Charlottesville was um, a series that we are preparing to launch um, in our department that will create opportunities for for citizens to come together to participate in conversations around current events. So when we have certain events that happen um, across the country, they don't have to happen here in Hampton. It could be Charlottesville. Um, It could be flooding in Houston that happens. Um, How do we bring people together to talk about current events that impact us all, even if we don't live in those communities. Because I think if we approach those conversations with the mindset that, hey, it could happen here, that's a good starting place um, to be able to assuage perhaps fears people might have. It could assuage anxieties people have. But more importantly, those conversations can create recommendations and resolutions and suggestions on how we can use crisis situations, tragedy situations to be able to advance um, and unify and make our communities more inclusive. So I think that for us, how Charlottesville is shaping up for us is it's, it's putting us in a position to even look beyond what the classic conversations are on diversity and hit on the things that are of real concern for people, which is the current events that are happening in our country that even if we don't live in those cities, people still feel a certain anxiety around. Um, and so having those opportunities, I think, um, is where we are in, in talking about um, life for us in Hampton post-Charlottesville. Well, it, might I suggest that um, the issues that led up to Charlottesville or the issues that developed Charlottesville uh, are happening here on a daily and weekly and monthly basis. And, uh, and that hasn't changed. Uh, it's just that there hasn't been a catalyst to cause that overriding uh, event to to, mm-hmm. to happen as it happened there. Uh, so in in that effect, it, like with the diversity college, is it looking at those historical markers that um, that kind of precipitated part of that? Although there were other uh, outlying issues that uh, that brought it to the table. Oh, absolutely. Um, particularly. Um, and you're referencing the diversity college, um, particularly when we look at our, our classes on race and ethnicity. Uh, one of the things that we integrate into all of our sessions for the diversity college um, is a significant level of interaction with our participants. So it's not just lecture style, but we also integrate um, current events and relevant topics when we talk about race and ethnicity, because I think I think you raise a very relevant point that um, in communities, not just in Hampton, but everywhere, I think there's always um, there's always a simmering of, and I use the word simmering loosely, there is always um, simmering activity around race relations, um, because I think it's been one of the driving forces and conversations in our country since its inception is race relations. And so I think it, it will always be a simmering conversation, and as you put it, um, until that catalyst moment happens that kind of causes it to explode. And so because of that, we do, enter, we do interject those conversations into our diversity college so that 
remain relevant in what we're talking about. So it's not just basic cursory information we're putting out. It's how does this information impact us and what does it look like practically today? And so with our upcoming sessions, we have um, a level two starting next week and a level one in October. Uh, we will be tackling topics like Charlottesville and other incidents across the country in our diversity college. Great. I had another hour. I had a, I got a lot more to say to you, but maybe we'll, we'll get to that another time. But thank okay. you so much. Sanithia Newby, the executive director of the City of Hampton Citizen Union Commission. Hashtag join the conversation. Be a part of the conversation. Contact the Citizen Union Commission today. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.